0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Exciting things. Thankful to God for that. Well, hey, I'm also excited for this series 613 Ghosts. Um, it, yeah, definitely unique title. Uh, what we're going to be talking about... I. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I believe this is the most important thing I've preached on since I've taken over. Now, that's not exactly a huge resume. I only took over last August, so it's not an extensive resume or anything like that. Uh, Still, I believe what we're going to be talking about is very, very important. But here's the thing. Um, What we're going to be going over, what we're going to be talking about this week and the upcoming weeks, it's nothing new. It's nothing new, that's the thing. It's very important, but it's nothing new that we're gonna be talking about uh, and looking at. In fact, we're gonna be starting today with some scripture here in a moment, and we're gonna see uh, the same problem, the same ghosts that are haunting us today. These things were alive and kicking back in the time of the disciples. These things were alive and kicking uh, just years after Jesus walked the earth. Uh, These have been a constant uh, area of haunting for Christians and for the church for the last 2,000 years. So let me give just a little bit of background. We're gonna be in Galatians chapter two today. If you have a Bible and you wanna follow along, if not, don't worry, we'll have the scriptures up on the screen. Uh, in Galatians chapter two, what Galatians is it's it's a letter it 's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Galatia uh, in this city he 's writing them this letter, and in chapter two he he recounts a specific instance uh, a fight, a disagreement that him and the Apostle Peter had with each other Now um, if, if you don 't read scripture you're missing out because there's some interesting things in here we think these people are perfect. They never have disagreements. They just pray and fast all day long. Like that's all, that's all they do. They just love God, worship God, and they love each other perfectly. But we see, no, there's some areas of disagreement. No, there's some times when people come to a head and they fight and they disagree. And we see that here. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul's actually referring to uh, another instance that we can read about in the book of Acts, this, this fight between him and Peter, this, this disagreement. And I'm just going to go ahead and jump in, and then we'll uh, uh, talk about what we read a little bit. But this is from Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Paul writes this, when safest, which safest? that's the Aramaic word for Peter, so he's talking about Peter here whenever you see that name. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, Gentiles being non-Jewish people. But when they arrived, he, Peter, began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So essentially what Paul is saying is, hey, look, Peter, he's this Jewish guy. Um, He's, you know, following Jesus though. But the second other Jewish people come around who feel like Gentiles, who feel like non-Jews are less than, Peter started to draw back from the Gentiles. He started to treat them differently. He started to act like, hey, maybe... Their salvation is a lesser salvation than ours since we're Jews who have followed Jesus, not Gentiles who have followed Jesus. So he, he starts to withdraw. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him, joined Peter in this hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, one of Paul's close friends and confidants, was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Paul is saying, hey, look, Peter, ever since Jesus changed your life, ever since he died and rose again, you've been acting like a Gentile, even though you're a Jew, but suddenly now that Jews are around and there's Gentiles, you're, you're putting on this front. You're acting like a hypocrite, and you're forcing these non-Jewish people to follow our customs. Verse 15, verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I wanna know, who, who will be justified by the works of the law? Who? Who? Put it in the chat. Who who will be uh, justified? No one? Yeah, that's right. No one. (laughs) No one will be justified by the works of the law. We're going to skip ahead to verse 18. Listen to what Paul says. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Remember that verse. "If If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So we're gonna focus in and hone in on what Paul said in verse 18 for if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. If I rebuild what I destroyed, if I resuscitate what died, if I bring back what should have gone away. Does anyone know about trends that are coming back that died off, but they're back all of a sudden, right? Uh, just, this last, this just this last week, our little dog, Teddy, uh, he, he came running in the room. We're trying to we're trying to coach the, the biting out of him. Like we're trying to get the biting and the gnawing out of him. He's a great little dog. He just wants to bite everything in the world that exists. Everything, not just soft, chewy things, hard, dense things. He wants to chew it all. And so he runs in the room the other day and it looked like he had a, like a, a blind from like my curtains, like a blind, and I was getting ready to uh, kill him. Like, (laughs) I was getting ready to be like, are you kidding me? He tore up the blind, all right, it's on. About to punt him across the street. So I go over and I lovingly (laughs) get it out of his mouth and I realize it's not part of a blind, it's a slap bracelet. Yeah, a slap bracelet. To which I was like, Where did Teddy get a DeLorean and hop back to 1993 and get a slap bracelet? Like, what what is this? And Jessica was like, Oh, yeah, they got the girls picked them out at uh, like Dollar General or something like that. We went there and they just picked out a few little things. I'm like, I didn't even know they were making these things again. They're making slap bracelets again. But I should not be surprised by anything because they're also making fanny packs again. Yeah. Certain trends just need to die. die a horrible death, and stay dead. They are making fanny packs again. I saw them in a store, and no, I'm not talking like goodwill, like oh, they're old fanny packs. no brand new there's factories today making fanny packs, people <laughs> it's crazy. I saw them for sale the other day. I'm like, this is nuts. Like all of these old trends coming back. another one, um, like flip phones like. Stupid phones, non-smartphones are making a comeback. Have you seen this? I see the ads on Instagram, like, because they're, you know, everyone's, everyone's getting so overwhelmed by this, and it's minimalism, and we're going back to, you know, just flip phones, and the, all that this phone can do is make phone calls and send text messages, and that's it. It does nothing else, and you're like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Like, we are really coming Full circle on this. All these trends that you thought, you thought the days of flip phones were over. Like, they're just dead. The only place you see them is in like, uh, you know, like just people remembering the olden days. We're not actually still using these things, but they are. They're still using these. TV shows, man, we're bringing them all back. Like, Fuller House was out on Netflix. Saved by the Bell, like the the new, new class, evidently, because they already had a new class, but they have an even newer one on Peacock. Like, they're just bringing all of these things back full circle, these things that you thought were over with, thought were dead, um, and sometimes these things should have stayed dead. Like sometimes these things, it would have just like, we don't need a part two, we don't need this thing brought back. Um, don't, don't think any less of my mom or of me. Uh, growing up, there was probably no movie I watched more than Dumb and Dumber. Uh <laughs> There's a lot of knowing looks where people are like, that explains so much. <laughs> like, I'm, okay, yeah, we get it now. <laughs> um, but I loved it. Like, I loved that movie. I could recite it from start to finish. Like, just such a funny, funny movie. Uh, and so whenever I found out they were making a second one, I was like, oh, this is crazy. And they, like, posted a picture from the set, and you're seeing Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels looking just like Harry and Lloyd again. You're like, this is nuts. Like, all that nostalgic feeling. You're like, this is crazy. This is going to be so good. Then I watched it. And by watch it, I mean, like, the first 15 minutes, <laughs> because I had to turn it off. I'm like, this is awful, and it's ruining the way that I liked the first one. And, like, it's, it's that bad that it was, like, ruining the first one for me. And I'm like, man, they just, they shouldn't have done it. Like, just don't, some things don't need brought back. Like, some things don't just need to stay dead, just stay in the past. It makes me think of, uh... This is a pastor story. I can't remember what pastor I heard tell this, um, but it's a true—it's a true story. It's not a fake pastor story. This is a true one. The pastor, um, one of his first jobs was working for an animal cemetery, which is pretty pretty interesting as it goes for first jobs. So he worked at an animal cemetery, and here is the thing: um, they would go to houses, they would you know pick up the the, the dead pet and take them, or uh, you know cremate them if they needed to just. Uh, a very, very unique set of circumstances. Well, one of these days, he got a call, um, him and his boss got a call from an older woman whose pet cat had just passed away. She'd had the cat for like 14 years. And she said, hey, my, my cat, so-and-so, just passed. Um, would you guys be able to come and get her? And the, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll send people over. We'll be over there in no time. So they start getting ready to leave. About 10 minutes passes. And before they leave, they get another call. It's from the exact same number. So they pick up, and it's that lady again. She says, hey, uh, I just called in about my cat. Uh, you guys don't need to come tonight. Is there any way you could just come tomorrow morning? They're like, uh, the cat's still alive? <laughs> Was it feigning death? Like, what's going on? They're like, yeah, no, we can, we can come in the morning. Uh, do you mind us asking why, what's going on? She said, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna take this pretty hard. I'd had the cat for 14 years, and I really would like one more night with the cat in the bed before, you know, before, before we say goodbye for the final time. If you're tracking with me, <laughs> that is a dead cat <laughs> that she wants to sleep with one more time. And right, it's heartbreaking. Like, we all have pets and, you know, like, all that is really difficult. But the fact remains the same. That is a dead cat. <laughs> that is a dead cat still in the woman's bed. And so they told her like, madam we're, we're sorry, we, we need to come, we need to come. So they came and kind of like talked her through it, talked her through the fact that, hey, th- this isn't like sanitary or healthy or <laughs> anything, right? So she, she ended up going up the cat, but I was thinking about that story as I was preparing for the sermon because I feel like as a church, not just Cornerstone, as like the, the big C worldwide church, I feel like we've got a dead cat in our bed. I feel like we've got a dead cat in our bed. In fact, I feel like we have 613 dead cats in our bed. If you're taking notes, today's title is Resist the Resurrection. Resist the Resurrection, which is kind of ironic considering we're going to be celebrating the resurrection in just about uh, two weeks, right? Um, but there is another resurrection that's happening. There's a resurrection that we do constantly. Um, it's a resurrection I've had happened a lot in my life that I willingly enter into, and it needs to stop. We need to resist the resurrection. We are resurrecting the wrong type of things. What things? Well, specifically what we're gonna be talking about throughout this series is we are resurrecting the law. We're resurrecting the law. Now, I wanna let you know this is gonna be a pretty heady series at moments. It's gonna be, uh, i gonna to need to put on your thinking cap in a little bit, Um, even with the first set of verses that we read today, you might have been like, the what, the safest, and Gentiles, and circumcision, and what are we talking about? (laughs) It's gonna be pretty heady. But I'll tell you this, this is important. What we are talking about these next, uh, today, in the next two weeks to follow, this is vital for our faith. It is vital for our faith. Um, It's something we need to discuss. Uh, Pastor Brenda had posted about it. I've shared my notes with her, and she's helped me out a little bit. As she said, this is something you may not have heard, but it's something you need to hear. It's something you need to hear. It's something that all of us need to focus on. So if you would, let's bow our heads and let's pray together real quick before we continue. Father God, I don't wanna screw this up. (laughs) I know how important uh, this sermon series is, this teaching that we're gonna be focusing on, and I really don't wanna get in the way. So God, please help my words be your words. Please help me to uh, speak clearly And articulately today, as we go through your word, uh, and as we see the truth of your word, again, like we sang earlier, God, you are what we seek. And as we seek you, help us to see things for as they really are. Help us to see your word as it really is. Help it to speak to us so that we can see transformation occur in our life. And we will give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. And it's in your name we pray, Amen. 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 So, the resurrection that we are performing, we are resurrecting, what I'm talking about whenever I say the law, we are resurrecting the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, what we see in the book of Exodus, starting in chapter 20, what we see in Leviticus, what we see in Deuteronomy, all these Old Testament uh, books, the works of the law, we have resurrected the law of Moses. You may see it called the Mosaic law, and the Mosaic law contains 613 commandments, 613, so there's our title. Now, I know people may get real like nitpicking, like, well, actually, there's 610. Well, actually, there's a little bit less than that. Sometimes the commandments repeat themselves with just a little bit different of wording, but most the, uh, theologians concur. There are 613 commands in the law of Moses. Now, these commands and the nation of Israel. If you've been with us last weeks, um, you know that we've we've talked about a few of these people. We've talked about Abraham. We talked about Moses last week. We've talked about Elijah. We've talked about people in the history of the Old Testament. Um, but I'm just going to give you a real quick history lesson on the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel starts with this man, Abraham. Abraham is a man that God selects. He calls him out of the land that he's been living tells him, hey, look, I'm going to make a covenant with you. If you are faithful to me, if you trust in me, I am going to make a great nation out of you. And it's gonna be a nation that not only will I bless, but I will bless the entire world through this nation, that I will start through you and through your descendants. And so Abraham starts following God, starts following his way, puts his faith in the Lord. And then Abraham has a son, Isaac, And that promise continues through Isaac. And then Isaac has a son, Jacob. And that promise continues through Jacob. And Jacob actually ends up having 12, yes, 12 kids. 12. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, And so God continues this promise, this covenant with Abraham, all the way up through Jacob until the days of Moses. And Moses is kind of this, like, uh, uh, this climax in the Old Testament uh, where we see God saying, okay, the nation that I promised to Abraham and the nation that's been kind of in waiting through Isaac and Jacob, it's about to come to fruition. I'm about to make this thing real. I'm about to make it tangible. It's like our commitments, right? The commitments we've made, and today we're making them tangible. That's what God's saying. He's like, that co- covenant I've made, it's going to start to become Reality And so God, as we talked about last week, God delivers his people from the land of Egypt through Moses. Moses is uh, kind of his lead man that God delivers them through. They leave the land of Egypt. They start going towards the promised land that God has in mind for them. But before they get there, God wants to start to set his people apart. He wants them to have rules and regulations and ideas for what it means for them to be their own people and their own nation. And so he institutes a new covenant, which was new to them. It's our old covenant, but institutes this covenant. And covenant, what that word means, it's, it's an oath. It's an oath between two parties agreeing to something. And so on God's part, he's saying, hey, look, you're my people. I've called you out. I've set you aside. You are to be a special people among all the peoples of earth. Your part of the covenant is keep my commands, Follow me as the Lord, as your only God. Follow me, keep my commands, and in return, I will bless you, I will bless your people, and I will bless the entire world through you. So that's the oath, right? You follow me, and I'll bless you and all the peoples of the world through you. Now, whenever we look at the actual commands, there's, again, 613, there's no real division in Scripture, like we don't see... Here are these kind of commands, and then here are these kind, and then here are these kind. Like, it doesn't split it up that neatly, but theologians and scholars, as they have studied, see that there tend to be three categories of the type of laws that are in the Mosaic law. First is civil. These are laws that help the nation be a nation. These are just civil laws for how to function as their own society, how to function as their own nation, as their own uh, independent ruling uh, body. So we have civil laws, we have ceremonial laws, which have a lot to do uh, with the temple and with offering sacrifices and purity and holiness. That's what the ceremonial laws, and then we have the moral laws. These are the laws that kind of reflect God's nature, just the absolute rights and wrongs in the world, like don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't lie, honor your father and mother, these kind of things that are moral laws. So they're, they're split up like that. And here's what I want you to know. As we talk about the law of Moses, I want this to just be known, not just today, but in the weeks to come. When we talk about the law of Moses, when we talk about the Mosaic law, these 613 commands, I want you to know these things were amazing. The law was fantastic. It was, it was super progressive for the time that it was given. Super progressive. Whenever you look at the law of Moses, you look at Mosaic commandments, and you compare and contrast it with other law codes and legal codes of its day, man, the way it treated women, the way it treated the vulnerable was like light years ahead of any other culture there was. Just light years. It was so wildly different. It was great. The law was ahead of its time, and the law was purposive. It was purposive. That word means it was given with a purpose, The law has a purpose and it had a purpose. It was specifically given to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. All you have to do is start reading Exodus chapter 20. You see the very first words that God says is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. God is clearly talking to the Israelite people. That's who he's talking to, to the people that he brought out of Egypt. He's not talking to us and we're like, oh yeah, we kind of have lived in a metaphorical Egypt, in a hypothetical Egypt. No, he's talking about a literal Egypt (laughs) that he has called his people out of. This is a very specific thing that God's talking about. He's saying, I'm giving this law to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. And that's what he gave the Mosaic law. And it was great and it was awesome (laughs) and it was progressive and it was ahead of its time and it was purposive. It was for a specific group of people. And here's the thing, when Jesus died and rose again on Easter Sunday, the law in effect had become null and void for anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. At that moment, it was replaced by a new covenant, by something better. You see, this this is my cell phone, um, this is an iPhone 10, I think. I think it's an iPhone 10. I love it. It's great. Any iPhone people in here? Android people. All right, well, we all have a, a healing service after this one to pray for you, lay hands on you. Um, you are the people who ruin all of our group chats. You turn them green. They should be blue. You jack them up, but it's all right. We forgive you. <laughs> But see, I, I, love, I love my iPhone 10. It's great. It's awesome. Um, whenever I upgraded, my old phone was actually, it worked really good. Like, I take good care of my phones, which is saying something for having three kids. Just got to say, that's saying something. Um, no cracks in my old phone. Uh, no, like, weird leaks that got spilled on my phone that blew out the speakers, anything like that. It still worked good. It's just I had had it way over the two years of my two-year contract, Um, Some of the apps were starting to, like, load slower. Uh, My camera was pretty outdated, just that kind of stuff. But the phone, there was nothing wrong with it when I upgraded. There was nothing wrong with it. But you know where my phone is right now, my old phone? It's at home in a drawer. (laughs) It's at home in a drawer. Because that phone was amazing. And it was awesome for a specific time, a specific place, and a specific setting Back when I had that phone a couple years ago, man, that thing was cutting edge. It was amazing. It was light years ahead of other phones on the market. It was so wonderful. But where I'm at now, the setting I'm at now, the place I'm in now, it's outdated. I don't need it anymore. So it sits at home. I don't carry it with me. Do you see what I'm talking about here? I know it's not a perfect analogy, but there is an old covenant that we do not need anymore. In the sense that it does not apply, it's not applicable in our daily Christian walk anymore. And I know you, you might be thinking, if you know your Scripture, well, you know, Pastor Jacob, Matthew 5:17, Jesus says, "Hey, I didn't come to abolish the law or to cancel out the the letter of the law. No, I, ca- I came to fulfill it. So doesn't that mean the law still applies? Doesn't that mean the law is still good? I mean, not even the smallest letter of it will fade away between now and the end of time, like." doesn't that mean that we're still under the law? No, what Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, hey, look, I'm not coming here to tell you the law was bad and so I'm canceling it. I'm not coming here to tell you, oh, the law was just so oppressive and it was so awful and I'm gonna get rid of it. I'm gonna just usher in grace now. I'm getting rid of it because it was so bad. Jesus is saying, no, the law was wonderful. The law was good and I am the fulfillment of it. I'm ending it. I'm ending it. I am the perfect fulfillment of this law. Essentially what Jesus is doing and it's so it's so crazy when we look at the life of Jesus because he essentially has his feet in two covenants. <laughs> He is living still in light of the old covenant while getting ready to usher in the new one. And so Jesus, in his ministry, we see he is literally landing the plane of the old covenant, bringing it to its fulfillment, bringing it to its logical conclusion as he's getting ready to usher off and take off in a new plane. As he's ushering in this new covenant style of living, he's landing one plane and taking off And another, the thing is, we as Christians, we as the church, and me as your lead pastor in my life, I have been way too guilty of trying to get that old plane to take off again. I've been way too guilty of trying to resurrect things that God has put down. Time and time again. And we see this. I mean, we saw it in the early church. We saw in Galatians chapter 2, Peter trying to still bring in these Jewish customs. Yeah, yeah, the new Jesus way, but also you still need to be circumcised. Yes, the Jesus way, but also you have to eat kosher. Yes, the Jesus way, but also these purity rites and this cleanliness and and the the 10 commandments. And you still need to follow all these things as well, trying to resurrect what God has put down. Now, why is this so dangerous? (laughs) Why are we even spending time talking about this? Um, Because you may be thinking, look, I'm not Jewish. (laughs) I've never been Jewish. Why are we even discussing this? This is why this is so dangerous. This is why this is so dangerous and why it's so important and vital for us to talk about this. This idea of having our feet in both covenants, of following Jesus in the new covenant, but also holding on to things from the old and trying to bring them in with us, it leads to a whole messed up theology, a whole messed up way of living our life. You know what it leads to? It leads to legalism. It leads to legalism, to following the letter of the law. Well, that's a sin. Let me find the verse for you. Yeah, this is what you should be doing. And it leads to proof text, proof text and, and just grabbing things from Scripture out of context and trying to apply it to your situation. It leads to, you want to know the prosperity gospel? The prosperity gospel finds its heart in mixing the old with the new. Well, if you do this for God, God's going to come through for you. It's what he promised to King David. It's what he promised to Solomon. It's what he promised to Abraham. If you're faithful to me, I'll bless you, and I'll bless the whole world through you. That's where we get it. We get this idea of the prosperity gospel, do this, get that, from the old. And we try to drag that into the new, and we shouldn't. It's been put down. That is not the way things work anymore. You want to know why we have so many pastoral failures while so many pastors and leaders and churches end up getting into affairs, and they end up misusing money, and they end up uh, abusing volunteers and just doing God-awful things, because we have mixed and matched the old. We have brought this idea of don't touch God's anointed. No, don't question the anointed. Don't question the person God has put in charge of you. Don't ever question them. Even if things seem off, <laughs> even if, if, if it looks like something wrong is happening, hold no one accountable because, hey, they're the Lord's anointed, it says in Scripture says in scripture, and so then we're shocked. (laughs) We're shocked when these people who have zero accountability have been abusing it. No wonder. We're mixing and matching the old with the new. Generational sins. Have you guys heard that term before? We talk about that all the time in church. Generational sins, generational curses. Well, you know, the infidelity, my my mom cheated on my dad and her grandma, and it just keeps going back. I mean, (laughs) it's it's like it's a curse in my family. There's no more curses. (laughs) It completely invalidates it. Romans specifically talks about there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These things don't follow us and haunt us because they're a curse of someone's sin. There's generational habits, right? There's generational tendencies, but there's no more generational curses. But we've brought this in from the old and we act like, well, you know, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. This is just who I'm supposed to be. This is what's supposed to happen in my life because it's a generational curse because someone way before me made this decision and now I have to live with it. So I guess it's just where I'm at. Mixing the old with the new, it leads to the mindset of God will get them. (laughs) God will get them. Vengeance. We need vengeance, we need to get revenge. God, God's gonna get him for you. It, it leads to all kinds of messed up thinking and probably the worst out of all of it whenever we mix the old with the new is we get this messed up idea that we work for our salvation. That we please ourselves into God's good graces. That we just, we keep doing what he says, we keep the letter of the law and that's what makes God happy with us. That's what gives us salvation. Works don't work, <laughs> Works do not work. It will lead us to an awful place. It will lead us to an awful place. And typically, (laughs) what ends up happening too, especially whenever it comes to works, is we, we start to apply part of the covenant to us and part of the covenant to other people. So we put, whenever it comes to us, man, we love that new covenant lifestyle. We love that, man, God has grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. And man, he he sees me in my weakness and he forgives me, he forgives me. And then once I'm in a good place, once I've taken up all the grace I can get, I look back and go, oh yeah, see those people, Those people need to clean themselves up a little bit. Those people, man, before you become a part of the family, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Before we let you serve, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Before you get to be a member of our church family, you need to do all this. Clean yourself up first. So we shove people into this old covenant while we live in the riches of the new covenant, while we live in the riches of God's grace and God's mercy. It is messed up, to say the least. It's dangerous, the mixing of the covenants. And why why do we do this? Why why do we run back to the law? Like, why do we run back to this thing uh, that that we hear other people in Scripture talk about, this burden that we couldn't even live under? Why do we run back to that? Honestly, I I don't have tons of time to go into this. Um, I think it's because we've become people of the book. You even hear people describe Christians this way. Well, I'm people of the book. People of the book, people of the good book. Don't get me wrong, I love scripture. I read it every day. I do a Bible reading plan every day. I love scripture. I love the Old Testament. Like I said, the last couple of weeks, we've, we've been focusing and preaching on Moses, Elijah, Abraham. Like my, my scriptures have specifically come from the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I love the word of God. But what we do is we say we're people of the book. We say this is God's inspired word. And what we end up doing is we treat all of this the exact same and throw out any context, throw out any setting, throw out any direction about what God's talking about and act as if literally every single word has the exact same context as the one before, and it doesn't. It doesn't. We're going to get more into that next week. Do not miss it. Do not miss it. But we become people of the book, and I just want to ask you, how does that differentiate us at all from Muslims, from Jews, from Jews? From Hindus, how does that differentiate us if we are just people of a book? Everybody's got a book. (laughs) Everybody's got a book. We are not people of a book. We are people of an event. We are people of an actual historical event that really took place. And we have extra biblical sources to back up what we read biblically. We know this was an actual event that really took place. That's what differentiates us. When you see the early Christians talking about Jesus, they're they're not constantly saying, well, let me just show you our Old Testament the whole time. They're saying, look, we saw a guy come back from the grave. (laughs) Like, I don't know how to explain it to you. We saw someone who was dead come back to life again. We are people of an event. And yes, we love the word of God. Yes, it's the inspired infallible word of God but we have got to take into account context. We have got to take into account different settings because what we end up doing, and this is, this is where we get so messed up, what we end up doing is we take the book we completely ignore any context, any setting, any historical backgrounds. We ignore all of it and say, nope, it's just all the inspired infallible word of God. It's all equally applicable to our lives. We do that, and then you know what we do? We take Jesus' commands and we just throw them in with all the other commands. We take the commands of our risen Savior, our Lord and King, and we just toss them in with the other ones. And so tell me if you've ever heard a sentence like this. Pastor, I I know. Jesus says, love your enemies. I know he does. I know Jesus says uh, to love others as he has loved us. I get that. I totally get that. But David was a man of war. King David killed his 10,000s, Pastor. I know Jesus says turn the other cheek, but Moses, he commanded war. So, I mean, I get what you're saying, but it's all about balance. There is no balance. There is no balance. There's no blended covenant. There is an old covenant and a new covenant. We cannot take the commands of Jesus and put them on the same footing as commands that were given with a purpose to a particular people, place, time, and setting. We can't do it. We can't do it. Essentially, then what we're doing is taking uh, someone got a prescription to take certain medication because of their illness, and we're saying, okay, yep, everybody take it. Everybody take it. We'll, we'll get those prescriptions sent out to everybody. No, it was purposive. It was for a certain purpose, for a sp- specific place and time and setting. And it's the same thing with Scripture. We cannot mix and match. We can't do it. Whenever we, whenever we mix and match the old with the new, what we get is the worst of both and the best of neither. It happens every single time we try to mix these commandments up. Have you ever, back in the day, I remember going to Taco Bell and I would always make my own cocktail of soft drinks. It, I don't know, it was fun making it terrible to drink though, right? Like you go up and you get a little Coke you get a little sun kissed, a little lemonade, right? Like, oh, this is gonna be bomb, because I love all three of them. And then you take a sip and you're instantly regretting the decision. <laughs> like, this is bad. Like, it just, t- and, and it's bad because you get the worst of all of those flavors. You get the like uber carbonation from the Pepsi, and you get the like tartness from the sun and you get the sour from the lemonade, and you're like, oh, this is awful. You get the worst of all of it. <laughs> you don't actually get the best of any of it whenever you mix and match, and the same is true with the old. A new covenant. When we mix these things, we screw up. And like I said, typically what we do is we mix ourselves into the grace covenant, into the, hey, God understands me covenant, and we put other people under the law covenant of, well, they need to, they need to work on themselves. Think about it. We, we'll have sins in our own life that we have time and time and time again, and we'll say, ah, it's, just a, it's a sin that I'm struggling with. It's just this one-time thing that I'm struggling with. Other people have that in their life, what do we start saying? Well, they're living a lifestyle of sin. Well, there's a difference. That's habitual. My sin isn't like that. It's like once or twice or 17 times or 18 times, right? It's amazing how we do that. We mix and match. We mix and match, and we get the worst of both when we do it. Listen to this is what the Apostle Paul says again. So we just read him in Galatians. We're about to read him in Romans. I'm not kidding. If you read Paul's letters, you will see time and time and time and time and time and time and time again in his letters, he is so overstressing the point, look, you are not bound to the law anymore. You're not. He, it comes up in almost every letter he writes. The law does not apply anymore to followers of Christ. He just says it time and time and time again. Listen, this is what he writes in Romans chapter seven starting in verse one. Do you not know, brothers and sisters? For I am speaking to those who know the law. The law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. And Paul's about to give us a fantastic analogy here. Verse two, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But, If her husband dies, she is released from that law. It is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, We have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. You see what Paul's saying? And it's such a a wonderful analogy. He's saying, hey, look, as long as a married couple, as long both of them are alive, it's a binding covenant. The second one of them dies, the covenant comes to an end and the person is free to enter a new covenant. And what Paul is saying is that when Jesus died on the cross, and when we put our faith and our trust in him, we, in effect, have died under the law, and we come back to life under a new covenant, the covenant of Christ. We are not under the old covenant anymore. We have been released from the law, released from the law through Christ, and the result of that is that, in effect, to us, to those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, the 613 commandments of the law have become 613 ghosts. They do not, they do not have power over us the way that they used to. And this is what it means. And again, you gotta be back here because all of these tied together. Don't think about clipping this part out and being like, listen to what the pastor said. <laughs> that means there is not a single commandment given under the old covenant that Christians follow because it's in the old covenant. There's not a single one. We have died to the law. Not we we've you know kind of been beat up under the law. (laughs) Not we're you know it's still kind of waving around. We have died to it. We are not under the law anymore. Honestly, whenever I read verses like this, the, the thing is, this is actually a very controversial topic that we're talking about. If you go online and look this up, are Christians still under the Old Testament law? Man, you'll see people throwing heresy back and forth and blasphemy, and I can't believe you're saying that. Of course we still are. Of course this still applies to us. Then you read Paul, and you read Jesus, and you're going, where are you getting this? <laughs> like, where, I, I, just, I just don't see it. This is a huge issue in the church This is a huge issue in the church. But the fact is, we do not follow laws because they're in the Old Testament. Whenever, and again, I know some people might think this is semantics, but it's not. When people say, well, this is my authority. This is my authority. Read Matthew 28. Read Matthew 28. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. All authority. Jesus is king. He is king in every single way. And we are living In the kingdom of God that he has established, there is a new covenant. The old does not apply to us anymore. Do not resurrect. Do not resuscitate. Don't try to mix and match. Don't do it. Let me put this way. Don't you dare pick up what God put down. Don't do it. That's what Paul was referencing whenever we started off today in verse 18 of Galatians 2, when he says, If I try to rebuild what's been destroyed, then I become a lawbreaker. You want to talk about violating the law, violating what God has done for us? If I try to build back all these restrictions, if I try to build back this, this yoke that used to be upon me, that's when I get in trouble. Because chances are, I'm not just going to put it on myself, I'm going to start putting it on other people. Resist the resurrection. Resist it. Fight back against it. That's how we got the prosperity gospel. That's how we got the idea of generational curses and sins. That's how we got the idea of works-based salvation, and that's not God's intent for us. The cat is dead. (laughs) The cat is dead. Get it out of the bed. Get it out of the bed. It has no place in our bed. None. It's dead. Don't pick up what God has put down. And again, don't take my word for it. This is the Apostle Paul, Galatians 2.18. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would really be a lawbreaker. Romans 7.6. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. It does not get any more clear than that. So that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So if you're even remotely tracking today, like I said, I know this is kind of heady. This is more teaching than preaching today. If you're even remotely tracking, you've got to be wondering, okay, <laughs> so there's just no law. Is that what you're trying to say? There's just no law and it's all love, man, and we're all just like hanging out and God just understands everything and it's okay. We can just do whatever we want. We can live whatever we way we want. Is that what you're trying to say today? That is not at all what I'm saying. no. We are not bound to the law anymore, the Mosaic law, the old law. We are not bound to that anymore. And that's because we have something better. We have something better. We have a new covenant, which again, this this might be new to you. Maybe (laughs) You don't know this. Did you know, this is just kind of a tease for next week. We're not getting into it today. Did you know that in the Bible, in your Bible, there are certain pieces of scripture that call other pieces of scripture Obsolete. Did you know that in your Bible they specifically mention that there are better promises than what there used to be under the old law? That part of the Bible was lesser compared to what is now better. That's not me. That's not your pastor. That is straight from the words of Scripture. And this is what it says referring to the old way of doing things. It is obsolete. And what is obsolete will soon fade away and disappear. That's the Bible talking about other laws contained in the Bible. We have something better than the law. We live in a better time and we have something better. So we have got to resist the resurrection. Don't pick up what God has put down because we have something better. We can say goodbye to the ghosts because God has given us something better. I wanna pray with you real quick. Let's bow our heads, all right? Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for what you spoke through the apostle Paul that we are released from the law so that we can now serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code, that written code that stood in opposition to us, that written code that kept a record of every wrong we did, of every thought we had, that has been nailed to your cross and we bear it no more. It holds no power over us, over anyone who calls upon your name, over anyone who follows Jesus. Thank you for that. God, help us to resist the resurrection. Help us to resist this temptation that we have to try to resuscitate the law. God, we are not people of the book. We're people of the event. We're people of you, of what you did in the new law that you established, the law of Christ. God, Help us to remember that every time we have a momentary temptation to start to fall back into works-based faith, whenever we have that temptation to not just put that on ourselves, but to put that on other people, that is not what you intended, and that's in fact what you set us free from. That's why it's the gospel. That's why it's the good news. Not because you just fulfilled some ceremonial law and some civil law. No, you fulfilled all of the law the law that we could not fulfill on our own, the law that stood in opposition against us, the law that showed us just how much we need a Savior, you fulfilled it and you've given us new life. Thank you for that, Father. Help us to remember that as we continue our walk with you. We love you so much. And we pray all this in your name, amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.